0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Coda Career. I'm your host, Cameron. I am a former technical recruiter, current software engineer, and the co-founder of the wider Coda Career Careers Network for people that are trying to level up, stand out in technology. Today, I'm joined by uh, Dan Bruce. Dan, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Dan. I am a software engineer turned entrepreneur, had one uh, good exit behind me. And uh, hopefully we're going to dive into a lot of this stuff uh, as we talk.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, something I've gotten really into recently is the whole like indie hacking movement. And uh, I'm aware that you're uh, certainly, because I think you've been involved in setting a few things, right? The one that I met you originally from, Albert, I don't know if that was like an indie hacking thing, because I think you had employees, right? But um, I know we're both into the kind of building public stuff on Twitter. So definitely a lot of stuff to talk about around now.
1: Oh, totally. Agreed.
0: <laughs> Very nice, <laughs> cool. So, do you, do you want to give us like a bit of an intro in terms of how did you start coding? Because everyone on this show ends up having a different story um, with how they got into the industry and how how they even found programming full stop. What what was your start?
1: Yeah, sure. So I started a little bit late. I was I was interested in computers from a, a fairly young age. I built them mainly for kind of playing games on, doing homework, et cetera. But I didn't really do any coding until I was in my early twenties. I was in the middle of an economics degree and it just wasn't gelling. Either I wasn't very good at it or I wasn't, maybe I wasn't even working hard enough. Uh, But I did enjoy doing the economic modeling was, which was what at the time I called programming in Excel and so i decided to stop with the economics and pursue programming which turned out to be a software engineering degree and that's that's really when i got started i, I did a four year degree and uh, uh came out of the the other end of it like in love with with creation really it's not just it's not writing software that's the the means to an end it's being able to create something that didn't exist like create something in the afternoon that didn't exist in the morning for example
0: yeah, that's a familiar feeling for me. That the moment of discovery when you've created something, uh, almost like virtual Lego, is—I I don't think you really get a feeling like that for for anything else. Like, it's funnily enough, I, I come from a similar original academic background. I was—I do- did a business degree, um, and I found programming a couple of years after I left uni. Um, so I probably could have, uh, <laughs> probably should have done a similar thing um, and switched over and and studied that that side of things. But um, you know, it, it, it's it's an unreal feeling when you're able to create something for the first time. And especially as well, if you come from the business and economic side of things, I do feel like we have a cool uh, kind of lens on things where we can think about how this really applies to business um, and what, what we can do with it, which is, uh, w- w- which is cool as well. So in terms of, um, in terms of your businesses, have they always been tech ones? Cause I remember reading on, on your Twitter, you've done some Android games and stuff that were quite successful a few years ago as well.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, they've they've always been technology they've not always been successful i think albert was the first successful product but in terms of other businesses you're right i did uh, some some android games that was with a with a with a good friend who took me under his wing coming out of my my first job so we built a game it got a lot of traction it was really well received but at the time piracy on the the android uh, the google play store as it is now was rife and so we had like the numbers grown over the years as i've retold the story i think we had about seven hundred and fifty thousand users or players uh and the game was one pound 50 but we only made about three thousand pounds out of it because most of them were, were were pirated so that got shut down but i still had the the thirst to create a business so my next business was the traditional consultancy and freelancing business I got to work for some really good companies. I worked for a company called Chillingo, who did the, the uh, analytics SDK for games like Angry Birds and Cut the Rope. I worked for RBS NatWest, which was uh, where I met my co-founder. I've had the, the chance to go and work in Los Angeles, London, New York. So, so yeah, th- those are the two businesses that led up to, to Albert, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later.
0: Yeah, um, that that's really cool. I think uh, a lot of programmers have always wanted to develop a develop a mobile game. It's one of those first things you have. I mean, certainly for um, for people like me, that uh, I, I mean, I, I basically I was in senior school basically as the iPhone was coming out, and it was like the smartphone revolution happened, and everyone was like. You know, it'd be sick <laughs> to make a game for this. We're all playing. I remember Doodle Jump was one we were all obsessed with when we were about 14, yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, I remember that. <laughs> I remember everyone talking about, oh, how cool would it be to make one of these things? And um, Because even in, even I mean, I left school in 2013. Even then, I think one guy did computer science in the entire sick form class of like 180 of us, I reckon, roughly. Um, one person went to uni to do comp sci. Everyone else, we all just went and did, like, all the classics uh, on, the, um, on the, you know, the mum and dad approval list. Like, you know, um, your uh, law yeah. degrees, like, <laughs> all that kind of stuff that make, makes people happy for that generation.
1: I, I didn't even know. So I think I might have done it earlier if I'd, even, if I'd known it was a thing. But I didn't really know it was a thing. It was, only, it was only when I started researching ways to get out of doing my economics degree that I realized you could you could program computers for a living
0: yeah it's wild how little it's advertised i mean from what i understand i think it has changed a little bit in uk schools but you know sort of 10 15 years ago there was nothing on it i mean um to give you an idea and i i actually bring this up on the podcast quite a bit because it annoys me how ridiculous it was at my school uh we had to drop it in year eight so international listeners i would have been about 12 13 but we had to continue latin until we were 14 uh, so oh, wow. talk about priorities there
1: <laughs> I mean I was I was quite miserable at, at IT because when when I was in school so I was a little bit before you so I graduated or finished high school graduated or finished one of I, I finished high school in 2000 and so um, IT back then really wasn't what it is today I see like I've got younger younger siblings and I saw they did at least a little bit of creation in it so it might be some html it might be some javascript whereas it was was data entry it was learning how to use microsoft word when i did it so i i was not i was not very good at that because i i don't tend to apply myself to things i don't find interesting
0: yeah i think the only thing i ever got out of the it lessons at school was um different flash games um basically mm. <laughs> back yeah. in the day like in the that would have been i guess like 2007 uh getting on like mini clip and and that kind of thing just uh finding all sorts of all sorts of games on there i think that that was the um yeah that was the main attraction for, for all of us i think
1: <laughs> yeah i remember i remember um so that was that was my uni years for me i remember a game called double wires quite fondly where you had to get a like a doll going across the screen uh, using mouse clicks. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed my Flash games too. Uh,
0: the one we always used to love, there was one where um, it was a ranked old man who was being flung around in some kind of ice storm. This sounds really weird. This sounds like a fever dream. Um, he's being flung around in like an ice storm. And... Um, if a if a like uh icicle like a shard of ice hits him it cuts off a limb and you have to like keep him uh, keep at least one limb on him for as, uh, as long as possible it sounds horrible <laughs> and it's <laughs> but it was actually so fun god knows what it was called <laughs> <laughs>
1: you you mentioned you mentioned that you took a a non-traditional route into uh computing and apologies if, if you've told this story to your listeners before but i'd be quite interested to hear more about that
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a funny one um, you say that because I often actually forget to tell my listeners um you know what what my background is cuz often we just end up um talking about who um you know uh, guests and and their stories and um my co-host uh who's sometimes on uh, this one he was a guest before so everyone knows his um in in terms of mine i was a uh, so i i went and did a business degree um because as i mentioned in in school it was kind of seen as like a decent option it's pretty safe right um to to go and do a business degree you, you know you learn it's, it's employable, it's, it's vocational. Um, I, I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy it, but I, I should have taken a gap year, <laughs> maybe, shall we say. And so I was pretty jaded by my final year and I was just like, Do you know what? I just want to go and make some money. And it's funny enough, tech came on my radar um, because uh, one of my best friends in university who I lived with all the way through, um, he studied computer science um, and they were a man down on their, uh, on their football team um and i'm much more of a rugby player um i'm absolutely useless at football um and uh so they basically have me in um at center back or center forward and they're like right either head away from the goal or at the goal depending on which side the picture at um <laughs> so that was my job um but i got to know all the guys that i played with um playing football there and um you know, they I realised they were all walking into quite good jobs after university. And um a couple of them were actually saying, like, why don't you try and do something in tech that's um, not programming itself? So um, I found out about technology recruitment and I thought you know, where, <laughs> these agency jobs, they advertise and say you make 100K within two years of leaving uni. It's not true. Um, no. But they—they <laughs> they, what, what they use to justify it is maybe one person did it once in the 90s. Uh, and then they say, you know, it's 100% possible. And, you know, more power to anyone that manages it. I certainly didn't. Um, but uh, I went into that and I spoke to the candidates. And obviously, all the focus was on doing the deals and placing people into jobs. And um, I really enjoyed speaking to candidates and, and it inspired me and actually the way obviously the way we met as we were chatting about um, before we started recording was uh, I moved on to uh, talent i o uh, because i 'd become so jaded with recruitment agencies. I saw talent i o were doing a platform that was totally different and a real different uh, radical approach to how we could recruit um, so I went over there and uh, i Started speaking more and more to the candidates, but then also as well, I realised that because um, we had an internal tech team, I, I could talk to them, and I found out more about what they do day to day, and and it got really it really interested me. So I started learning free code camp in the in the evenings or, or my lunchtimes, maybe doing an hour a day of JavaScript, um, and then gradually I think I hit this one point where I was just like, do you know what, I just need to need to commit to this. So um, it was classic case, so you know, young young guy, I must have been twenty three. Uh, living in London, um, not earning that much money. Uh, I had to support myself. I couldn't just go, I couldn't really afford to go to a coding bootcamp or anything. So um, I took on freelance contracts um, and I managed to blag one, uh, a freelance contract as a recruiter. I managed—I say blag, I managed to agree uh, a freelance contract uh, with a startup where I would recruit for them four days a week and then um, be their software engineering intern one day a week. Uh, so that's basically where that that was the bulk of my learning, actually, um, and I ended up with probably the most overpowered uh, sort of direct report of all, um, direct manager of all time because uh, the CTO was basically agreed to look after me um, for uh, for my programming, but because it was an AI company, he was like a double doctorate of uh, computer vision. <laughs> so this guy who was like a genius, <laughs> um, and obviously big shout out to Peter if you're listening, he, he was. Um, but he taught me Python basically uh, from like the craziest uh, uh, like high level, which was really cool because I learned all the concepts um, really quickly. And then I I realized that um, basically I analyzed the market. I was like, seems like everyone basically wants React developers at a junior level. Um, so then, yeah, I just went and learned React basically. Uh, invested in in going to a specialist React course, um, did that, and then yeah, landed landed a job. It was a it was a strange, I almost quite literally fell into tech basically uh it was a bit of a wild 12 months and um yeah i mean it's funnily enough it is three months uh three years uh to to the week uh that i actually decided to um commit to this full time so uh yeah it's 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 been a been a really interesting three years and i'm looking forward to looking forward to the next three years put it that way
1: oh that, i'm impressed that, that's a that's a really big achievement like, to achieve that in three years i did like i said i did the traditional fairly traditional university route and i don't think i'd have had the maybe not the motivation or maybe not even being able to put together a a route where i'd have learned it um, as, as effect, effectively without university
0: yeah i think i was very lucky to have quite so, quite a few different mentors um, and a lot of people being very supportive with what I was doing. So I was very lucky in that respect and um, being able to also have the ecosystem uh, that we have now with learning online. We started some, something like Free Code Camp um, The amount of time and effort people go through, like uh, Quincy Lawson, uh, the founder, he he is honestly one of the most important people in the tech industry, in my opinion. And he doesn't actually get that much recognition, considering what he's managed to build. Um, Mm -hmm. It's an incredible resource. And I I basically owe my entire career to that one website, which doesn't look particularly flashy, but it can teach you a lot of very important stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It can
0: yeah. And, um, you, you already mentioned Albert earlier on, and that's obviously how we got to speaking must've been back in 2017 kind of time a, a while ago when we I spoke. Think, I
1: think so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, things went very successfully for you there. Um, mm. I won't spoil the end of the story, um, with it, but, uh, do, do you want to explain kind of how you came to the point where you decided you wanted to found Albert and, and then what that journey was like?
1: Sure. Uh, I think I've always wanted to to found a a proper business. And so when I say proper business, I mean one where I'm not selling my time as a, a freelancer or as a consultant. Uh as a as a young kid, I remember wanting to uh run a bike shop, for example. Um and I wanted it to be the biggest, baddest online bike shop. And then I came across a company called Chain Reaction who'd already pretty much sewn that market up. But uh I met so then Fast forward a few years, I met I actually met my co-founder in 2010, 2011 when we were building the the Android app for um, RBS NetWest. Then we went our separate ways. I went to work for the BBC. He went to work for Ubuntu, and we came back together at a, a company based in uh, LA. Called uh, Virtual Piggy or Oink, and what they were doing was the simplest way to describe it is like a PayPal for children. So helping children spend and manage their money online, but with kind of, yeah the, the the safety features that would help the children that you don't necessarily get with a normal bank account. And as we were as we were working there, we were back and forth between well, I was back and forth between L.A., London, Manchester, sometimes New York. And as a freelancer, I was finding it really difficult to keep on top of my finances, send my invoices, and I I'd, I'd tried everything back then. QuickBooks was mainly desktop. Zero was mainly desktop with with a little bit of an app. And so myself and my co-founder, who's a designer, just decided, well, we can build a a bookkeeping solution for freelancers that's that's better than anything out there. And it was a bit of a bit of bravado, a bit of ego, and a bit of naivety. Uh, but I think all those things are, are required. So we, we quit our jobs, um, pitched for uh, an accelerator by a company called Wyra, which was Telefonica's accelerator. So uh, for any, any of your listeners, an accelerator is essentially a place where startup founders would go to get a little bit of seed money, some office space, talk to other experts. And so we, we landed in Wira and started burning to our savings quite quickly. And realised that like, the only real way that we're going to be able to build this company is to raise funding. So we we started to build a product and raise, try to raise money at the same time. And it was only really when we raised the, the first amount of money and in quite close proximity shipped the first version of our product, and people said, "Oh, this is actually really good." That we realised that we might be onto something. Like I'm I'm pretty sure up until that point we thought, "Hang on, did we make a really big
0: mistake here?" Yeah, that um that, that makes sense. I think uh it, it takes a lot of courage to really I, I can't imagine um taking the courage to, to actually step out and go into something full time. That must have been a pretty scary moment, but um pretty pretty cool payoff. And how how is that with the whole process of going through that and then fundraising while building? Like I personally I wouldn't know where to start. Did did you know or, or was it the kind of thing where you had to learn as you go?
1: Oh, we had no idea. So um, I've written an article on this, which I'll I'll send to you and you're welcome to share around. We uh, we essentially built this product and we put it out there and we thought we've, we've built it. So people are going to come and start using it because it's, it's the best mobile bookkeeping product ever in our eyes. And so two things went wrong there. One is it, it wasn't the best mobile bookkeeping product ever. It had a lot of problems. And the other was, We'd not up until that point realized that building a product and building a business were two very different things. And so there was a big gap in our knowledge. So there was there was gaps from finding customers, um, getting them to come to our website or to the app store, download the app, monitoring what they liked about the app, what they didn't like about the app, uh, how to sustain ourselves by raising money. And so what we did uh, fortunately myself and my co-founder have very complementary skill sets is he took care of a lot of the outward-facing side of the business, so what our designs looked like, how to raise money, etc. And I took um, care of the, the internal side of the business, so building the product, running the operations, figuring out, dealing with customer support, figuring out what customers wanted. And so we both just had to fill gaps in our knowledge. Uh, that way, essentially.
0: Yeah. And that that makes a lot of sense where finding, uh, specializing and, and finding what what works well for you and, and a co-founder um, obviously is so important. W- would you say that, how did you, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. How did you know that your co-founder was the right person to start a business with? Because I think a lot of people, um, panic about that and they wonder if they should have more than two or if they should do it solo how, how would you say people can know about that
1: he was my best friend basically so uh, this is this is a really key piece of advice there's lots of people asking how you find a technical co-founder or how you find a marketing co-founder um, it feels like today we're trying to push founders together and building a startup's one of the most stressful things I've done in my life and um, I think there needs to be, if not like a really close friendship, at least like a long a long running feeling of respect for your co-founder because you've got to trust them. It's all about trust. It's not, I'm going to use my skills and they're going to use their skills and we're going to do something amazing. It's not, it's all about, I've got to do this thing. I need to trust that my co-founder is going to be able to keep, keep take care of their thing um so that i'm not worried whilst i'm doing my thing and, and from his point of view it was absolutely the same thing so it's it was trust and i don't think i'd have we've had some, we had some really hard times and i don't think we'd have even got through it let alone been successful if we weren't best friends beforehand
0: mm. yeah that's a that's really interesting to hear so what what do you think about uh like the entrepreneur first model to immediately name uh the only one i can think of uh that because there are these accelerators that do just like basically admit people straight in and then just pair them up do you do you think that that doesn't work usually then in that case because i've heard mixed things to be honest
1: i think it probably works but it's not as a it's not by design it's by similar people coming into a melting pot and some of them will form lifetime friendships and connections that are really solid very quickly because they've got something in common there's there's that instant connection and some of them will will perhaps even get to year one or year two and realize that the relationship between the co-founders perhaps isn't strong enough And some of them will succeed, maybe because they're they're smarter than we ever were in that they avoid all the rough experiences and just manage to come up with something phenomenal. So I I can't say they don't work and I've not been in one. So I'm just I'm speaking on a hunch. But in my experience, the only reason I've been successful is because my co-founder was a fantastic at what he did. And uh, I trusted him with with every single part of the business that that uh, I required from him, and vice versa.
0: Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And um, what what advice would you give people that are because we we do have quite a lot of like indie hackers that are curious mm-hmm. about taking the next step, that listen to this and um, curious about taking the next step, want to get into an accelerator. Uh, are there any tips you, you'd give people that uh, kind of help with the process of getting in?
1: yeah i think it's important to take it seriously so um a lot of people um what i call the tech crunch generation of, of which i'm one uh, see these these massive valuations and massive fundraising rounds and massive exits and they think right i'm just going to i'm just going to go into this uh, accelerator i'm going to hack at something and I'm gonna make a load of money. And it's just not the case. Uh, I don't really think you hack at a startup and that might be quite controversial. You, you, you're in it for the long haul. You're uh, Before you start hacking, you should know that the market really wants what you, you're you gonna sell it. So I think the advice would be A, know what it is that you'd you'd like to build inside the accelerator. B, have that validated. And see, uh, be a professional. Uh, I wouldn't consider myself an indie hacker at the point. I'm an accelerator. I would consider myself a professional who is looking to grow a professional business. Yeah,
0: yeah, that that makes yeah that makes a lot of sense. Because you're gonna you're
1: gonna be taking money off people. So when you go to accelerator, you you often take money off people, and then you're often going to have to go and raise more money if if you're if you're if you're on the path to success, and that involves. And, and so this, it was years ago that I did it. I admit that, but in my experience, that involved being seen as a professional, being seen as a good bet for venture capitalists or angel investors. So they needed to see you as the person who was going to succeed in this space. And so it's, it's don't downplay how serious getting into an accelerator
0: is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it it's sometimes is a bit cool to like uh it's seen as a bit cool to be like oh you know I just I just hacked this stuff together but uh yeah I think I guess like you say exactly you're you're auditioning for venture capitalists essentially so it's yep. and if they're putting money behind you because even just at the accelerator if you don't get funded that they're, they're putting money behind you so exactly, um, exactly yeah I mean yeah it's like you wouldn't it's a lot of
1: responsibility uh, it is a lot of responsibility
0: yeah I was trying to think of an an, an analogy about how like you you wouldn't trust a mechanic that's uh, uh, that's the work that's workshop is really dirty, but that's a rubbish one because they're always dirty. i was trying to think of a good analogy, but I can't think of
1: one. Yeah, um, you wouldn't you wouldn't trust a mechanic if you were having to lend him the tools.
0: Yeah, that's the one. That's a far there better analogy. Know, you should host a <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, that's not for me. <laughs> um cool so obviously we're um skipping a few uh chapters here you grew it to the point where you you're employing people right and uh things continue yeah. to grow from that
1: yeah we we grew it to the point that it was starting to look viable as a business so uh we we employed about 13 people i think it was about 13 yeah we'll go with that number it was it was between 10 and 13 people and it went up and down some of them were were uh, freelancers some of them were, were full-time staff and we would started to bring and so again for your listeners at the time we started building this app it was it was still just about acceptable to lean on growth rather than revenue and so it was only about in year two year three we started to focus on revenue but because we'd built a good product and we had um, really good retention of customers. So that means if we acquired a customer and we got them to send two or three invoices, there was an 80% chance they were going to stick around for for a year at least. And so when you've got customers like that, and we brought in a subscription model, and it was only a very low price, it was just a test, we we started to see that conversion from free customer to paid customer was working and that the paid customers were asking us for a lot of the features we were gonna put in a a much more expensive paid tier later on. Uh, But at that point, um, Santander came along with an offer that we we couldn't refuse. And we took some advice from a a, um, a crucial mentor and advisor that was with us from the beginning, who said, uh, sell your first startup to an early-ish offer. Because it will give you financial freedom and it will give you credibility, and so we got together, we discussed it, and we decided it was a good offer. Let's take it.
0: How, how did it feel to have uh, successfully had your company quiet? It must be must be a surreal feeling. I mean, I'm sure a great feeling, but a surreal one at the same time.
1: It was heartbreaking, to be honest. It was uh, it was fantastic for a day or two, and then you realise you're no longer your own boss. Uh, your your products either going to get uh, integrated into something else or sunset. So it was a very mixed emotion. I think so. My my co-founder dealt with it better than I did. I uh, I definitely struggled with it for a good probably six months af- after we sold it. Um, yeah, it's it's a tough experience.
0: Mm. It's very it's very honest of you because a lot of the time people like to paint these things like oh it's uh, you know it's absolutely incredible like you know ride off into into the sunset but yeah I I suppose as well like it it must be difficult if you uh, obviously I've never gone through selling a company myself but if you've been really going blood sweat and tears into something um, for several years like that then yeah it must be uh, must be hard in a lot of ways and yeah mixed emotions and I'm sure it's um,
1: Uh, yeah absolutely it was
0: yeah so what what are you uh, what are you working on at the moment? Um,
1: well, so the, the biggest project, I'll get into it in a little bit, isn't a uh, isn't a tech business. But uh the, the in the tech side the, the thing I'm most working on is trying to give back so mentoring, advising, uh generally just helping people out who either want to become engineers or start businesses or aren't sure they want to be either, but would just like to talk it through with somebody. I've been doing uh, a lot of that kind of work. I don't, I don't know if I'd call it work. It's a lot of fun. So it's not work. I've just been doing a lot of
0: it. The Coder Career Podcast is brought to you by CodeClan. As the only coding bootcamp in Scotland, CodeClan is a fantastic way for people in Edinburgh and Glasgow to learn to code in person. And if you're elsewhere in the UK, you can still benefit from their remote cohorts. With over 1,500 graduates, 70% of which get a full-time job within six months at one of CoClan's 390 hiring partners, CoClan is a fantastic place to make a change in your career. CoClan is also making great strides towards reducing the gender gap in technology. With over 25% of their alumni now being female, with this rapidly growing. With average starting salaries of around £30,000, a world-class curriculum, and a forward-thinking organisation, CoClan is the place to be. As a former senior instructor at CodeClan, Colin can tell us even more.
2: Yeah, absolutely. CodeClan is an absolutely phenomenal um, place, place to be, place to work, place to study. It's a coding bootcamp and it does full-time professional software engineering and data courses. Um, The software engineering course is called the PSD and the data course is called the PDA. Um, Both these courses are 12 to 16 weeks full-time. They are fully instructor-led, which is... One hundred percent instructor interaction. That's one of the things that really sets them apart from other other courses that you can take. For example, you can do quite a lot of courses online for coding and software engineering that are not instructor led and are maybe through like a learning platform. Whereas CodeClan stuff, whether it's remote or in person, they're fully instructor led. You can literally stop the instructor halfway through a lesson to ask a question, and if anything, that's actually that's actually encouraged. The whole course is designed to take someone who has very little experience all the way up to a junior software engineer, such that they're able to to become a junior software engineer in an organization. And the course hits on all of the basics, uh, mostly around Python, JavaScript, Java, but as well as that, the software engineering principles and all of the really important fundamentals behind software engineering and coding and clean code, that all gets taught in this interactive immersive way at CodeClan. One of the great things, other great things about CodeClan is that people often say, can, can I learn like Rust or can I learn Swift or something like that? You actually can't like learn tons and tons and tons and tons of things on the course because there only is so much time and there only you can only fit in so many like languages and skills. But one of the great things about it is that it gives you the ability to learn those things later on, it doesn't just say here, Here's React and here's JavaScript and whatever else and then off you go. The instructors that you you get on, on CodeClan are, are so helpful and they're so good at knowing exactly what people are thinking and feeling at various points in the course because it is a very intensive course. And, but at least there's between two to four instructors per class and that's for both remote classes and in-person classes. And everyone learns in the in the cohort at the same pace, which is excellent. It's really good to know that, for example, the way that they teach on the course, which is so important to me, the way that they teach is that they they use a lot of what we called code alongs. And a code along is where an instructor kind of quite slowly and methodically codes out something in front of the class, whether it's on Zoom or in person in the classroom. And then the class slowly like code that thing together. We call that a code along. And that's actually a really powerful way to learn because you're seeing the actual coding process happen in front of you but you're also being taught at the same time and as a participant as a student what you can actually do is you can stop and you can have a conversation and you can ask questions CodeClan is kind of a life-changing thing i've seen dozens and dozens and hundreds of people go through it in the time that i was there and it was genuinely genuinely life-changing for for every single one of them um they managed to you know get jobs as software engineers you know junior software engineers in the industry and even now. being a couple of years uh, ago that i worked there i know many of the people i know are now mid mid-level kind of senior level engineers so it's having a huge impact on people's lives and in a way that i couldn't even i couldn't even describe it's pretty awesome and um, to get more information about Codeclan, go to codeclan.com and slash events codeclan.com slash events to learn more and to register for a workshop the workshops that they do are kind of like a way of you figuring out if you want to Come along to Codeclan and, and and join and join up and 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 do the course, and it's a really great way of figuring out if if this is the sort of thing that's going to be useful to you. Please give it a try if you're thinking about it. I highly recommend it. It's absolutely fantastic, genuinely life changing.
1: I think the biggest piece of advice I'd give to to anybody is that it's a much more creative field than than people think so people think of coders and software engineers and programmers or whatever you'd like to call it as you see in movies such as swordfish or or people who sit in rooms with their hoodies on and they don't like to talk to people when when in reality it's a really creative field you're you're creating a product that tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of or even millions of people are going to use and so just coding in itself isn't isn't the the hugely useful part. Like I mentioned earlier, it's a means to an end. So having a lot of interest in other domains, whether it be business, whether it be crocheting, whether it be just, just any other hobbies you've got that are a creative outlet, are likely to A, feed into how you solve problems, but B, also be problems you might want to solve in the future with the software you create. So I think it's about being excited about a lot of different things and seeing writing software as a as a as a way to solve problems that come up in those things
0: i I really love that because one of the biggest pieces of advice i always give to people uh whenever someone says to me i've been learning to code i'm stuck in tutorial hell um you know free code camp's great but i've been going through the hamster wheel of doing all these tutorials um but i don't know what to build i say to him Um, keep your notes app handy or literally go old school and carry a notebook around with you Mm -hmm. and think Mm -hmm. about for a week what problems do I face my day-to-day life ideally that are quite unique to me some kind of hobby or interest that I have Um, but it could be something mundane like a very efficient uh, way of sorting out your shopping uh, for instance Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I say to people like think about how you can make some kind of simple app using the skills that you've learned uh, using um, you know you, using the skills you've learned that solves that problem and yeah I, I totally agree I, th- I think it's such a good way to solve it and then as well it means that your portfolio as a junior as someone that's had to hire a lot of juniors in the past a lot of portfolios look absolutely identical if you've got something super unique to yourself um, then I one I know it's not copied off a YouTube tutorial which happens so much <laughs> yeah. uh, and two I know that you've really actually put your heart and soul into something and you've thought about how can I add value to people's lives.
1: I think that's a fantastic idea. Uh it does it does a couple of things in, in my mind. It keeps you excited because you're taking software, which is something that you're excited in hopefully, and something else, like a problem you've got, which you should be excited to solve, and it brings them together. And the other thing it does is it forces you to solve problems that you you might not encounter doing tutorials or that you might not encounter doing another to do app or another calendar app or another stopwatch or whatever, uh, and you encounter these production problems so that when you encounter them in your day job, you're oh, hang on, I've already solved this, so I know how to solve this again. And that's actually another piece of advice. If you come across a problem that you find tricky and you eventually solve it in your learning experience, put it in your Evernote or put it in whatever notes app you use because you're gonna remember solving it in the future. You're not necessarily gonna remember how you solved it. And it's always good to be able to look back and then apply that solution.
0: Yeah, I've got a whole folder on my personal notion of like code snippets. Uh, for like really mm-hmm. common stuff. like mm-hmm. It's just annoying little things like making uh, like with with Node with Node.js stuff, like just the annoying repetitive, like basically all the crud tasks. Um, it's like, yeah. I know how to do it. But it's one of those things like sometimes, especially if it's first thing in the morning, uh, like I'm just like, do you know what? Just kind of a quick look at the cheat sheet or, oh, I can't remember how this AWS service works. Oh, cool. I've written a cheat sheet for it. Um, just little things like that. Are just, they're just so helpful, especially um, I assume Evernote has it as well. But like Notion has the, um you can format things as a code snippet which it, which is super handy yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah that and I, or i'll just save entire web pages into my mm. into my evernote i'm a bit old school with the evernote maybe
0: yeah that that's a good idea as well just just straight up saving men i i didn't even think to do that which is uh is a good idea and actually we we've uh, we've name dropped a a bit of code uh, so far um for uh, what would you say for people that are they're trying to maximize their career in the industry early on let let us say uh, that someone is for sake of argument they're eighteen leaving senior school now uh, they decide they 're not going to go to university they want to get a job as a software engineer, not mm-hmm. sure exactly what Um, What would you advise them to learn if they know nothing right now, technology-wise?
1: That's a a really good question. So I'm a bit biased, and I'm going to say JavaScript. Mm. It's not the simplest language, but it gives you the the most options for what you want to create. So you're you're likely to find something you like. You can create mobile apps. You can create desktop apps. You can create web apps. You can create server-side apps. You can create browser integrations it just gives you a lot of options that being said and i don't know if this is a bit of a grass is always greener i always look at the the ruby community a little bit jealously because they just seem so productive with ruby on rails and it might be that they're not or it might be that they are and i've really missed out on on the, the ruby on rails bolt. who
0: knows ruby on rails is a really interesting one because it's I was talking about this with someone on TikTok the other day, actually. It is one of those languages that every people that use it are obsessed with it. And yeah. everyone I know that likes it will not abandon it, despite the job market not being as good for it as it was um yep. it's so quick and uh, i i was actually reading the because i was making an infographic for the code of careers instagram um and uh, i was reading the ruby page of wikipedia as you do so I was trying to get some facts about it and what i really liked about it was the whole philosophy behind it was uh, it's all about the um it's supposed to sort of spark joy in, in the programmer as they're as they're writing it and it's supposed to make programming fun um and to quote, actually, a previous guest on here, uh, Matthew LeBeer, who came on about 20 episodes ago, who was a programmer at Talent.io. Um, they built all their stuff in Ruby, and he said um, the benefit for Ruby was that he could show his mum uh, his code, and his mum could probably work out what was going on. And he said that that's why Ruby is such a good language.
1: I think I'd have to agree with that. I've, I've not done any, any in anger,
0: but I have just seen some,
1: I've just seen people stand up API endpoints so quickly. Uh, nowadays, I for the, the the back office stuff or the API layer, I use uh, a, a TypeScript framework called uh, NestJS. and I think it's gone in the direct. It's not it's not MVC necessarily like Ruby, but it's gone in that direction of a lot of configuration, kind of just there for you when you fill in the blanks. So I think the JavaScript ecosystem is getting there uh, in, in terms of the tools I'm using, but I do I do look over at that community with um, some jealousy sometimes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I've heard great things about NestJS. Do you, do you know what their, their biggest error was? Naming it so close to something like NextJS, which is such a major project, which is yep. also worth people learning. Um, but I haven't tried out Nest yet uh, actually.
1: Uh, yeah, it, it it is the amount of times I've landed on a documentation page, it's not made any sense, and I realised I've. <laughs> Either Google's changed it from next to next or I've typed it incorrectly. Yeah, it happens more frequently than than I'd care to admit.
0: Yeah, I think think overall I'm probably in the same camp as you though with uh, recommending JavaScript. I think um, in terms of like the job market, which is probably, if we're being realistic, the most important thing, like I Mm -hmm. don't see it going away anytime soon and the scope for it keeps increasing. Um, So I think, yeah, I'm in agreement. And obviously as well for people that, aren't necessarily familiar typescript is just i can't remember the proper word for it i think it's just like a superset of javascript so like if you can learn if you know yeah. javascript you can probably learn typescript in I, I don't want to say a few hours but like you'll be able to get to grips with it uh, very quickly uh the advanced typescript is definitely worth studying um but yeah for listeners who are who are who are unfamiliar javascript to typescript are very similar
1: yeah so well i um i think you can go from javascript to typescript like you say in a few hours with the caveat that some of the errors it gives when it's trying to, let's say, compile is, uh, are difficult to understand. Um, I come from, my first programming language was C stroke C++, and so a lot of the errors you'd see in that are similar to compiler errors you'd see in TypeScript, so they make sense. But without that, if I'd only ever done JavaScript, a lot of the stuff the TypeScript compiler spits out, it's, 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 it's just not possible to understand
0: yeah that that is true, and there are some there are definitely some errors that really trip you up um at the start so it's got a bit of a learning it, it's the learning curve is flat and then suddenly quite steep um after a little while it's like a reverse j um it's uh i, I mean I, I'm talking about how easy it was a minute ago, and then i'm remembering that literally yesterday I was thinking I was pulling my hair out of work all day trying to work out um what was going wrong with this very specific typing error. And um, it was some like weird thing to do with an interface. I won't bore the listeners with the details, <laughs> um, but uh, there was something funky going on with the dependency, um, and then it turned out to be a one-line fix. But I'd literally the stupid thing was the code was working. But you, do you know sometimes when you just get that red big red error in the console and it just annoys yeah. you? I, I just yeah. I thought I'm not merging this while well, this is like that. Uh, so it was one of those things. Um, but yeah, definitely. Uh, it is tempting when using TypeScript sometimes, just put a cheeky TS ignore, but it's, otherwise that just defeats the point, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely, it does, yeah. So to, to that point, uh, yeah, I use the TypeScript on the back end. I'm still doing vanilla-ish JavaScript with Vue on the front end. And when I'm doing the JavaScript, I miss the TypeScript. And when I'm doing the TypeScript, I miss the Ys and simple well, simplicity—you can cheat yourself mm. in the foot, but I'll say simplicity of JavaScript. So I think, I think I'm kind of in love with both of the technologies, but when I'm with one, I'm missing the other.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I I do enjoy work with them a lot though, and it, yeah, I think I, I think I'm firmly in agreement. Actually, like it's probably in terms of balance and everything. Like if you want to get into the industry, JavaScript for me is probably JavaScript is best, followed by Python. Yeah. Followed by Ruby, I would say. Maybe a few years ago, I would have put Ruby further uh, further up, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: just the job market is not uh, not what it was for Ruby. But um, you know, I mean, Python's great. To be fair, for anyone that is maybe curious about doing anything with da- with data as well, because Python, obviously, it is basically the probably the most versatile language out there uh, in terms of like. And when you take into account the ecosystem and everything, it's yeah. There's a lot you can do with that. Mm. I you. Um, you, you said you're using Vue. Is there uh, any reason why you, why you picked Vue over something like React?
1: Simplicity. Um, so I started with Vue when Vue two was a thing. It was the leading version, and it was so simple to get set up. And I'm I'm a big believer in uh, test driven development, and it was so simple to write tests for. So when I was doing React. I was always having trouble writing tests that integrated with the store. I came up with a solution, but it felt heavy. And writing view it was much simpler in Vue 2. That being said, I've now moved to Vue 3, and um, it's starting to feel a bit heavyweight again. So uh, I don't know. Like Maybe it's time to recheck out React. Maybe it's time to look. I've heard good things about Svelte or or maybe it's time to just stop whinging and stick to a technology for more than five minutes for once. I don't know. <laughs> I can
0: relate. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, I've heard good things about Svelte. Like uh, it's very firmly on my list. I've, I've got my next front end tool to try is Svelte, next back end tool to try is Rust. Uh, like that, that's my immediate priorities, I think. I think I think they both sound quite exciting. Yeah and um you said uh there's there's one major focus you're working on right now what, what 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 are you working on right now what's your big project oh this this
1: is this is a, a crazy regulatory issue uh it's it's not related to tech it's uh so i bought an apartment um 4 years ago and it's really boring but it has massive structural issues and so uh, i've spent i think i know where this three, is going yeah is 3 planning? years of it's. Not, I wish it was cladding. Oh, I is wish it not it was cladding? Oh. Yeah, no. It's. So yeah, I bought an apartment. It's really nice. I'm sat in it now. A really nice apartment, and it's just got structural issues to the point that there's talks of demolition. And so I'm. I don't. This is a segue, but I am going to take it back to to something interesting. And so I've spent the last three and a half years of my life almost full time fighting that. So it's become a big legal issue. Now the the it becomes interesting again because I don't think I'd have been able to manage this battle if we hadn't gone through a lot of the operational and legal issues with running a startup. And so I've approached it like it is my startup. And so that's made it much more manageable, but yeah, it's taken up all my time for the last three and a half years, realistically.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, that, that sounds, yeah, that sounds really tough. But um, all, all the best, uh, with, with that i think uh yeah is that is that are you trying to deal with like local government then is that the focus or i'm trying to deal with anybody who will listen oh, but
1: uh, so so the, the the positives of it are i've I've learned a lot about other like we, we spoke about other domains and so i've used this as an opportunity to learn about the legal frameworks that govern uh, new builds and, and leasehold properties i've learned about engineering of buildings and so who knows maybe one day i'm gonna sit down and create a product that means nobody else has to face this
0: yeah that that sounds cool i mean it's uh obviously um it's kind of an, an extreme version of what we were talking about earlier like where sometimes we find inspiration from problems that we find uh it, find in life it's so, absolutely yeah. that it yeah. is absolutely that yeah yeah well, yeah, obviously, um, all, all the best from uh, from my side with that. Because uh, thank yeah, you. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I've I've heard of similar stories, and yeah, um, it is. Uh, yeah, it's tough fighting with the uh, fighting huh. with this sort of thing. Um, Indeed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I. Um, I live in a, the biggest problem with the place I live in is uh, there's a cat that lives downstairs that drops uh, half dead rats in the stair. I live in a big tenement block in Edinburgh, uh, and uh, <laughs> we get it's very cold, which is great if you live in Scotland, uh, and great yeah. if there's a cost of living crisis with the heating. Um, and uh, secondly, yeah, there's a cat that loves to drop um, half dead rats uh, in the uh, in, in the stairwell.
1: <laughs> My 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 family's from Glasgow, so my grandparents grew up in in Glasgow, um, and and so my 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 mum was born there. So I've I've been back and forth to to Edinburgh and Glasgow a couple of times throughout my life.
0: Oh, nice, nice, yeah. Mm. Um, I it's a funny one for me uh, as as listeners know. Obviously, I um i spent so long down south uh basically from childhood <laughs> that uh it's weird for me being in edinburgh with it technically being home but kind of not um because i didn't uh it was one of those things i took the opportunity to move here with covid um but yeah it, it's funny because uh down south like especially going to school down there and everything um all my uh, all my friends would rib me about uh sort of being scottish and all the rest of it and then i'm up here i'm like playing for a rugby team and stuff and just get ribbed and um, made fun of being English. So you can't win. <laughs> <laughs> no. what's, what's the tech scene like there? It's good. You know um, it, it's underrated. I think it's um, obviously I would say down South, like London and Manchester, are, 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 are you big too? And then um, up here, if you were to combine, I would say like, combining edinburgh and glasgow's tax scene is usually what most people do because the cities are so close together it's probably um maybe around the same size as manchester's tax scene maybe a little bit bigger if you combine both cities um so there's a lot going on and there was a big boom um particularly post 2008 it's it's a bit quieter now um not quieter it's just uh it's 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 growing more steadily um but we have the uh the, the big companies like skyscanner um have a huge presence here um a lot of games tech obviously rockstar have got a huge office here um not been a great few weeks for them uh, <laughs> um obviously with all of gga 6 leaking um but they they've got a huge op- uh operations up here and then um FanDuel, a huge here as well. Actually, Colin, who is the co-founder of the Code of Career and um, hosts the pod as well, he he works for them. Um, I work remote um, for, uh, for a company in London. Um, but yeah, it, it's good. I think it's one of those ones that it's um, benefited quite a lot for, from COVID because I think a lot of people that were working uh, in London during COVID made a similar decision to me uh, to move back up here. And um, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of, a lot of people in the tech industry here that are weirdly working remotely from somewhere in London. So um, it's, it's a weird quirk, but yeah, there's, there's quite a lot going on here and we're, we're holding some events periodically in uh, both cities actually. So it's been cool meeting people um, across the, across the scene here. It's good.
1: I love how, um, and uh, how, when you're in Scotland, Manchester's down south. Yeah. <laughs> when we call it the North of England, when you're in London, anything north of Watford is is the North. So that, that tickled me a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it is weird. Like people, especially with my accent as well. Like when I say down south, and I could be talking about Newcastle, and uh, uh, the looks yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it's uh it, it's a good one and um hey, are, are you are you based in manchester then because i've heard the tech scene's really good I, I still actually haven't visited but i've been meaning to get myself down to manchester because i know a lot of people in the scene down there.
1: Uh, i'm not so i'm uh so you know london i'm right by king's cross in london oh nice and uh, so i spend a fair amount of time near manchester my parents still live in warrington which is essentially in the middle of manchester and liverpool and so I go back and forth to there and I've got friends in the in the Manchester tech scene and it seems it seems a lot more like a lot more relaxed and a lot less finance focused than the London tech scene is my mm. take on it, which which is a good thing if that's what you're looking for, and a bad thing if you're in fintech and <laughs> I don't know which end of that spectrum I sit on yet at the moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough yeah it's um and i guess with covid as well like the fact that the uk is such a relatively small country we can basically Mm -hmm. be in any city uh within the day like um so i guess we're going to be able to be more location agnostic now um which is uh which is nice um as well, but um yeah, I mean thanks so much for coming on um, today as well, uh, and it was a really interesting chat, really cool, and I think this is the first time we've ever had an entrepreneur who 's exited uh, from their company which is uh, which is really cool to hear about that, but was there anything else you wanted to um sort of bring up uh, or, or like shout out while, while, while you 're here no,
1: I think i'd just love to say good luck to anybody who is an indie hacker or anybody who wants to start their own micro business or even VC back business, or or even people who just want to get into the scene, uh, best of luck to them. And I hope that if they have any questions, they can find me on Twitter, they can find me on LinkedIn and, and reach out and just ask away.
0: Yeah, uh, Dan is definitely a great follow on Twitter. I, I've been, we've been connected on there for quite a while. I'm always interested with uh, what you have to say on the uh, on the tech scene. So definitely, people should uh, drop your follow on there. And then, if if you, if you can find the time, please do follow me as well if you're not already. It's under Cam Blackwood ninety five, uh, and then the Coda Careers Twitter. And in his absence, Colin Rodell, of course, as well. All those links will be in the description. Um, but yeah, it's been awesome having you on, Dan. Thanks so much for taking the time. I've to speak. had a great this time. Been really
1: cool. No worries. Thank you so much for having me
0: brilliant well and thank you as well listeners for tuning in we are back in your inbox every other monday this has been cam blackwood the code of career we'll see you next time